Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today. another installment of MSP webinars. I'm Steve Taylor and today uh, we have the pleasure of, of working with James Vickery from Benchmark, Benchmark 365. Sorry about that. Um, and I can tell you that Benchmark 365 they do uh, outsourced knock and outsourced help desk and today James really wants to talk to you guys about how to use and outsource knock and help desk effectively so that way you can can uh, cut costs, manage growth, and you know, just, just run an effective business. So uh, up on the top, you'll see a, a little chat bubble. So that way you can click on that, open up the chat box, uh, feel free to post your questions throughout. And uh, as, as I see good questions, I will do my best to interrupt James politely and ask those questions. James, if, if you could please um, give us some background of yourself and why you started Benchmark 365, that would be fantastic. Sure, thanks, um, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on as well. I've uh, been looking Absolutely. forward to for a couple of weeks. A um, little bit of background is that uh, I've run an MSP for 15 years. Um, in, we started out in Sydney, Australia, started out um, a lot like a lot of MSPs, kind of not really knowing what we were getting into, uh, not really not really realizing the the late nights and weekends and um, all the all the stuff that you need to know to run an MSP. Um, but some, somehow I muddled through that, um, got to about 2012, 2013, and did everything right. Um, you know, we had our PSA, we had our RMM, we had all the tools, we had the pricing model uh, that the market kind of told us to have. And we thought that, well, I thought that, you know, that was it. Like we kind of, we kind of made it. But um, one of my frustrations is that we weren't scaling. So we weren't growing beyond kind of like a, a million dollars, million five in services and hardware revenue after a decade. And so that was, a, that was kind of frustrating for me of kind of working so hard, trying to get this business from, you know, like 10 people to 20 people and so on, where I saw other companies were able to do that. Um, and so as much as I loved, I loved where we were at, I really wanted to take it to the next level and had an opportunity to uh, travel offshore, travel to the Philippines and learn about setting up a business at scale. Um, the difference between these businesses and mine was that these businesses had 50 or 100 or, or sometimes thousands of employees. And it really got me wondering why is it that MSPs don't scale and why, why were these other companies in other sectors able to scale so aggressively, um, and that led to a journey of learning how to set up businesses offshore, um, learning how to um, manage people offshore, learning how to build a new culture, and effectively what we did is we built our entire MSP um, in the Philippines, uh, which is no, no small feat, as um, anyone listening can imagine. But over the course of three or four years, we got really good at it, really, really good at it, and we're able to build a scaled company uh, effectively doubling year on year. Um, and effectively being able to uh, grow pretty much to any challenge that, that's been thrown at us since. 
So you built out a, a full managed services company out of the Philippines. That's correct. Um, so that's crazy. Well, it felt crazy at times um, trying to learn, you know, like a trying to replicate what we were doing in Australia um, and do that in the Philippines. And we learned not long thereafter that that was actually a bad idea to try to copy and paste what we were doing in one country and do it in another country. But we pretty soon learned that it was actually a game of um, scale. So let's take a standard managed service provider or IT provider. It often looks like this. Um, if you're lucky, someone answers the calls and dispatches tickets. Not a lot of MSPs do that. Often the techs answer the calls. Sometimes the calls go to voicemail, right? That's that's kind of like, um, you know, like a standard kind of look and feel of an MSP. And then two, there's usually one or two level ones, one or two level twos, one or two level threes. Um, and the problem with that is it, it, it results in one day customers are really happy and then something goes bang and the next day customers aren't happy. And it's that kind of inconsistency of service. So we experienced this with, with our MSP that if our dispatcher was away sick for a day, then calls got dropped, service levels went down. Uh, if our senior tech was away uh, for any reason and we couldn't drag him out of bed, then systems would go down and it would take longer to fix. So what we learned in, in, in the Philippines is that why just have one person answering calls? Why not have three, three or four people so that every single time the phone rings, one, two, three, pick up the phone. And so there's always that instant customer contact. Every time a ticket comes in, respond to it as um, rapidly as possible. On average, for us, it's about five minutes um, from time to, time to call to time to dispatch. Um, so we learned in the Philippines it was, wasn't about a copy and paste like hire three or four people overseas. It was about adding redundancy into every function of the MSP. And we achieved that. It took a while, but we achieved that. Sorry, Steve, I've just lost your audio. <laughs> Do you hear me coughing and anything else I had going on here? Um, so so with all that, um, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. And it doesn't help. Nobody's asking questions. I'm, <laughs> I'm shocked that nobody's asking questions. Maybe, so maybe I can... Sure, I can, I, can, I can shout out a couple of common questions if you like. Um, but, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to dive right in. I'm not even going to give you any easy ones. So the the knock and help desk they're they're local they're located in Philippines. Mm -hmm. So how's their English? Great question. Um, so first of all, just a bit of uh, cultural understanding of the Philippines. Um, number one is. The Philippines was uh, effectively occupied, if you will, by, by America uh, some 70 odd years ago uh, due to, you know, issues in the region and so on. So everybody kind of learned English uh, many years ago in the Philippines. Um, and as a result of that, as a result of this kind of um, uh, involvement from, from America, what ended up happening is Schools were built that were, you know, English-speaking schools. Universities were built. And then in the 90s, what we started to have is, you know, like companies like Verizon and AT&T setting up uh, operations there. And that was, the, that was kind of like the where, where some of the bad impression about um, call centres came about was the 90s, right? Like 90s and early 2000s, really bad quality calls uh, due to poor internet connectivity. And um, it's what we would call kind of like phase one 
of offshoring where um, it was purely a price point. Um, lots of big companies went there and everybody was really annoyed with the quality. But that was 30 years ago, right? Like that was a long time ago. And since then what's happened is the model has matured overseas. And of course, as we know, internet has gotten considerably better around the world. So there are, there are you know, large scale cabling, fiber services all running into, into the Philippines. So answering your question about English, um, most Filipinos speak English pr primarily as a as the day to day language. They certainly speak it at work. Um, they they mostly speak it outside of work because it's a universal language. Um, Philippines is seventy one hundred islands, eighty different odd languages in the country. So it's actually easier to speak English because even someone someone in say the Visayas uh, can't speak Tagalog. So they speak English to each other because it's work. Secondly, uh, sorry on that. Secondly, um, what what happens is that English is uh, spoken at spoken at school. It's spoken at work, um, and there's also a very strong American accent as well. So because of the American influence, it's actually quite I'm weird. To like, the next question is, exactly. is how is the dialect how, what kind of accent do they have yeah. is it is it going to be talking is it going to be like talking with a bunch of americans dumb <laughs> americans or really smart sounding british guys because that's that's a big difference too <laughs> um the funny thing for us as as aussies is it's really weird because it's an american accent to us it's an american accent it doesn't sound like that's other parts of Asia, like, like china or, or vietnam and places like that where there's that very strong um asian accent you, you don't have that in the philippines it's very american and there are different levels so of course in our company we look at um english as a as a as a, a primary uh re requirement of our candidate right like they've got to, a they've got to speak english and b they've got to have been speaking it and have um really good grammar really good speech um so yeah hopefully that answers your question with with um with having really good grammar you know, I, I'd, I'd want them to understand how to speak English properly. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I'd also want them to understand when should I use a conjunction versus the two words? When should I use uh, uh, slang or whatever else? Uh, yeah. When, when is the appropriate time to tell a joke and be lighthearted, you know, that, and, and I feel like, you know, when, when we start looking at the other side of the world, um, you know, things are just different. I mean, not even language, but just societies are different. Um, so, so I'm sure that's going to be a concern as well. And then, um, someone did ask if you have any like recordings of calls that you could share, uh, yeah. because Microsoft is one of the biggest companies in the world. Half their support staff, you can't understand it. He said half. I'm going to say 90% of their support staff, you yeah. can't understand a uh, a darn thing of, yeah. of what they're saying. And um, yeah. maybe maybe India versus Philippines is is going to be a big gap, or or maybe you're just overselling it. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me, so let's go back to, to where we started here. So um, I've run an MSP for 15 years. We offshored our MSP five years ago, five years ago, right? Um, so that's a long, that's a sustainable long time. So if we, if this was like um, a really big problem, I wouldn't be sitting here 
right now. Sure. Uh, we learned we learned two things. The first thing is, and I tell this story a lot, that I had all of these biases and prejudices and, and worries five years ago. Um, and I, culturally, I don't think we're too different. From, from I just wanted to hit mute. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you wanted to smash oh, something. <laughs> Um, yeah, so five years ago, we started this journey, had these biases, had these prejudices. And so what I did is I put a, a team in front of the Philippines. So I put an Australian team here, right here in, in, in the town that I'm in now. Um, and I said, you guys answer the calls, you guys filter the, the, the jobs to the staff in the Philippines, and then they do the job and then they filter back to you and then you call the customer back, right? And you know what happened out of that? The customers were really annoyed because it was taking way too long to get things done. One day there was an urgent client issue and one of our Philippine staff picked up the phone. So he bypassed the Australian team, picked up the phone, called the end user and fixed the problem in a couple of minutes. And that end user uh, was the owner of one of our clients, picked up the phone to me and said, why, why isn't this guy the one that's just calling me and getting the problem solved? It was quick, he knew what he was doing. I got the issue resolved. And that was a big lesson for me that we, we, we had these biases. This guy only cared about getting his IT problem fixed. He wasn't concerned about who was at the other end of the line, but rather what was the competency of the person at the other end of the line. So as a result of that, we started to look at this differently and say the most important thing, the absolute most important thing in this day and age is, is the TTR, right? It's the time to resolve. How quickly can you go from that ticket being logged by your customer to someone either picking up the phone or responding by email and getting it solved. To me, that wipes out 90% of like, I didn't like that person because they had an accent, right? Um, that's, that, that, that's the biggest thing. So we focus heavily on that. How quickly can we take calls? How quickly can we um, respond? How quickly can we solve the issue? And our entire team is KPI'd on that um, and along with customer satisfaction. So the other thing that we do is we measure everything with a CSAT score. I'm sure some of your audience are, are familiar with that. If you're not, you can check out things like customer thermometer, smileback, tools like that are amazing because they give you instant feedback. Um, currently, we're sitting at 45% response rate uh, on tickets, and we have a 94% CSAT score. I think that CSAT score is better than what I had when, when we had purely a local team because we're able to deal with things a lot faster and a lot more effectively. Excellent. So with, when it comes to someone, uh, someone asked, you know, what are the levels of interaction? Um, so we, we understand how people will interact. Um, how, how does it work when we decide we want to engage with Benchmark 365? Do we have to, uh, with, let, let's, let's just look at any other help desk. I don't even care. We don't even have to bring up a name. Um, of another help desk, but I know mm -hmm. some of them charge per user, some of them charge per device. Yeah. Um, some of them will make you support all or nothing in a company. Others mm -hmm. will let you just do uh, some things. Uh, Zach just brought up some charge per incident, mm -hmm. um, some charge in uh, blocks. You have to buy blocks of time or blocks of incidents. So there mm -hmm. are a lot of different ways to engage. And then there are even some that will uh, only do like project work, um, yep. you know, migrate from on-site exchange to Office 365, that type of stuff. So 
So what type of engagements are you guys available for? And, and how, how is that structured? Not even looking at the financials, just how, how is it structured to work with you? Really good question. Um, and you know, as, I said, as you said, without naming names, there's, there's different players in the market and they have different approaches. Some are uh, endpoint based, um, got to buy our software, got to follow our process. Um, and there are others that um, insist on, um, you know, designing your service delivery uh, their way um, to deliver. We, we look at things differently. Um, the way that we look at this is most MSPs have either uh, are just starting out, they have no staff and the owner is overwhelmed and is looking around to maybe hire one engineer. As soon as that MSP hires that one engineer, they, their time becomes divided between running the MSP and also a little bit of HR. When they get two engineers, they've got a little bit more HR. When they've got five, uh, take it from me, it becomes a full-time job, right, just managing staff. Um, so the, 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 the incremental scale of an MSP uh, tends to result in um, more challenges around managing people, managing business processes, um, and that is why I believe, honestly, is, is one of the key reasons why MSPs don't scale is they're kind of chasing their tail, just learning how to how to um, manage people and how to get people pointed in the right direction. The way we look at it at, at Benchmark is that we give you a team. So it's effectively a turnkey service where we are an MSP, we understand the industry, we understand the product stack that, that exists in the MSP space, and so immediately we give you a team. It usually looks like at minimum a dispatcher and a first, second and third level engineer that's in a pod. So they're your guys and you can utilise them on an on-demand basis. So you're not paying for that, That you know, you're not having to scale up and hire three, four, five people, but rather as tickets come in, depending on the complexity and depending on uh, uh, the, 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 the customer, for example, we will assign a team member to you. They'll work that ticket. If you don't give us any more tickets for the day, they'll move on to another account, another MSP, and they'll work on those tickets. So the pricing is based effectively on volume on an on-demand basis um, because if you need it, and, and this is true in the Philippines, Australia, North America, it doesn't matter where, if you have to put a, a, a person on a seat, you're paying for them even when they're not billing right? You're paying for them all the time. You're paying for them 40 hours a week. Um, at Benchmark, we don't believe in that. We believe just pay for what you use. Um, underpinning that is, well, how do we cost that out? Well, effectively, it comes down to a range of things, um, a range of incidents, a range of hours, um, and the types of work that we're doing. So um, it's, it's probably a little bit deep to get into on the webinar, but we're happy to send out um, information about that and people can self-calculate and self-assess. Our, our number one goal is that no matter what we do, we come in at less than 50% of one full-time employee um, in, in any market in the world. But for that cost, you get an entire team. You don't just get one person. Um, we answer the calls if you want us to do that. We provide first-level support. If you want us to do that, we deliver projects if you want us to do that. And the partner is in control of what we do, when we do it, and how we do it. That sounds incredible. So on demand, I mean, you, you make it sound like you're the uh, Amazon 
AWS of uh, of managed services outsourcing. Um, so, and and I see someone else. Yeah, technicians as a service. Someone just called it. Yeah. Um, now, so with that team, are we getting like you know some people say, oh, we've got tier one and tier two, tier three, what you know, whatever. Like, can can you realistically tell me what tiers of service you are able to provide? Yeah, and I'll answer this honestly. Um, in in the Philippines. Level one and level two are, are fairly simple roles to find. Um, well, well, maybe for us, we've got a bit of a tractor beam on, on attracting the best people in our, in our marketplace. But level one and level two is pretty standard. Um, when, you, when you get into level three, there's a different definition of level three for every MSP that we speak to. Some people... True. Level level three is like the guy that's doing like uh, server rebuilds. He's doing accounts. He's doing a bit of account management. He's like he's like running around dropping boxes off on site. He's just the guy that can laterally think and and and, and solve a lot of problems within the business. Or maybe you're just really unlucky, and and tier three is the guy that you know can reload Windows on a computer without asking you questions. <laughs> right. That's right. So um, this is a very this is a very transparent and honest answer. So level three is hard to find kind of anywhere, right? Um, in the Philippines, level three tends to be more specialised. So like a level three exchange guy, a level three SQL guy, a level three whatever, right? Um, it's it's not as easy to find um, multi-disciplined, multi-talented people in that marketplace. Um, we're lucky; we do have um, a team of people that are, but when we speak to an MSP and they say, oh, can they do that thing? It's like, well, maybe not, right? If they haven't um, been fully trained on that particular product stack at that level, at the very, very senior level, then we'll honest, honestly answer and say no. To combat that, what we've done is we still have a team here as well. So we still have an Australian team primarily made up of solution architects and senior engineers. Um, so through benchmark, MSP partners can actually leverage that team as well. Um, if something gets beyond the, the, the standard first and second level support, um, one one more thing I just want to say is, even I'm, I'm being honest because I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it either. Most stuff that we see on a day to day basis, like more than ninety percent of tickets, are handled by the uh, offshore team comfortably. And and that's probably because. Um... That's probably because a lot of tickets are, I don't remember my password and uh, why is this application crashing? And I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that um, as long as you don't need boots on the ground and as long as you have proper documentation, um, you, you can probably fix just about everything. That's correct. That's correct. Um, what what we find is that more than 60% of tickets are really fit into that first um, maybe second level category across the board. And we've, pardon the pun, but we've benchmarked MSPs all over the world. We've looked at the types of tickets that come in. We look at um, typically how long these tickets take. Uh, we know where the, where the pitfalls are. We know where the quicksand is on those things. Um, level three tends to be um, something that it, it could also result in a sale. So if something hits a really, you know, complex issue, we might talk to the partner and say, what do you want to do about this? We can we can address it, but what do you want to do? And he said, no, 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 we've told that client that we need to replace that service. 
So we don't want to invest, you know, 10, 20 hours fixing this problem. We don't want you to spend all weekend on this because we've already had a, a talk with our customer about replacing that link or replacing that firewall. So um, we work with the partner to just manage the expectation of the client and to uh, address anything as it comes in. Excellent. And um, so so these people are, you, you said they're working as an extension of my team, right? Mm -hmm. So as, as an extension of my team, um, how do they get access to stuff? Like, uh, let's say we use IT Glue. Um, how do we provide them with access to that documentation? Uh, what if we just use Word documents? We've got everything stored on our on our desktop. And we're just one guy, you know. Um, you know, what if we have a PSA like Autotask? Are they going to work within our PSA? Um, how how familiar are your are your techs with all the different tools that are out there for MSPs to work with? Um, you know, because I I I might be using Autotask Endpoint Management. Uh, we got Zach in here. He uses uh, Solar Dog Hound Max, whatever GFI is called these days. Um, we got other people in here on Kaseya, LabTech, everything, everything under the sun. Um, because yeah. as as I think we've all learned, there's there's no one right way to do things when running a business, or else we wouldn't have nearly as many businesses out there. Got it. I'm going to, I'm going to um, talk about that first point you raised because it's my absolute favourite. What if we don't have documentation? I, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that from a, <laughs> from an MSP, um, let me actually let me reassure everybody uh, that's listening in today. It's not you. It's the industry. Uh, no MSP has 100% documentation. It's not possible. Every time we do our kind of initial engagement, we start talking to a partner, the first thing they say is, I really need to tell you something, um, we don't have enough documentation. So uh, we're used to that. Um, during our, uh, maybe I should just quickly talk about how we engage. So we have a three-step process of engagement. One is an onboarding, um, takes between 10 and 15 business days where we do some data collection. We have a look at your PSA, we have a look at your RMM, uh, more importantly, we have a look at your documentation and we do a, a review. So during that time, we might say, this documentation is okay. This this documentation needs a little work and we can work with you to just get the basics down, even if it's just a, a high-level overview of the environments that we're likely to encounter. Um, then we document that. We document a baseline for every client of yours that we're going to be dealing with. That happens during the onboarding. Then what we do is we go into a pilot and the pilot is for 30 days. Um, there's no um, ongoing commitment from partners beyond that. Uh, in fact, there's no ongoing commitment beyond that period. We, we work in a no lock-in um, basis, so it's month to month. Um, during that pilot, when the tickets actually start coming in and the customers start calling, that's when we can identify that maybe there's a few other things that we didn't find out during the, during the onboarding process and we will stop we will talk to uh, you, the partner, about that and find out um, uh, how, how to address this particular concern because we, you know, there's, there's no password or, or the information that you provided, we can't log in. We never involve the end user in that process. So we stop, we have a back channel where we talk to the partner about that and then we address that problem, we update the process and we go forward again. 
Um, that's that's been the way that we've addressed it because if we were waiting for MSPs to document everything, we're going to be waiting a real long time. We're going to be waiting we're waiting some some months, if not some years, for that. So that's that's the best way way we know how to partner. Um, so we're given two steps. The third step is an ongoing engagement. So we're going to hit our stride after the pilot. We're going to have a good knowledge. The team's going to have a good working knowledge of um, the customer stack, and we're going to be able to um, address most issues that way. And, again, if we run into, into a problem, we'll stop. We'll talk to the partner. Um, management is very accessible with Benchmark 365. We're not Microsoft. I, I, we talked earlier about some some biases towards Microsoft and the Indian call center. You're talking about a very, very large scale company that have um, distinct business processes that they have to follow. We're your partner. We're an extension of your team. So we don't have that um, rigid way of working. We have a tacit way of working just like you do. And we just address things as, as they happen and we work with you to improve it as we go. Um, so hopefully that answers just the, the documentation side of it. Let's talk about PSAs and RMMs. Um, our approach at Benchmark is we don't want to upend the way you work. Um, if you have a best practice, so if you're satisfied with your RMM, you've configured it to the max, it's everything's automated, everything's alerting at the right time, amazing. So give us a login to your RMM tool um, and we will continue to run it the way that you run it. If you don't have an RMM tool, you can leverage ours. We use Kaseya. Uh, I know there's, I know people have got different opinions about Kaseya, but we've had it for 10 years. We've customised it. And we're not a software vendor. We're not a Kaseya reseller. So if you just need it and you need 20 um, uh, endpoint agents installed, we'll just give you 20 endpoint agents and we just charge you what it costs us from Kaseya. Um, that way you're not committing to an RMM. You're not having to buy a product. So some people listening in might think that that's, that's good because they're thinking about buying an RMM and haven't gotten to that stage yet. You just leverage ours with, with Benchmark. But if you do have your own, we're not going to change it. Um, PSA is, a, is a, another beast altogether, as you can imagine, because if you have multiple techs in your system, then what we need to do during our onboarding is work out a ticket flow. Um, we need to be able to process tickets. We've got a, a team and they've got a, a place where they need to work and enter time. Um, so we have a system that we use to, to do that. But we can update uh, your PSA as we go or we can work out another process depending on, depending on the flow. It, it really comes down to the team dynamics. Some of our partners have no team. So it's simpler to just push through us. Some have a large team or have heavy customization and it makes sense to push through you. So, again, just kind of the philosophy is to work with you as a partner, as a, as a, a labour force, and work with you in the most efficient way possible. Does that make sense? I can't. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> so uh, my, my screen did weird things. I'm also trying to do tech support on this because some people complained about the quality so i'm working with henry from demio to see if there's an issue or if it's just a i don't know i don't know but we'll figure it out so um that was a lot of information so yeah. it, it sounds like it sounds like you guys are are really able to provide literally every level of everything um, you know, if, if we don't have the tools, you'll give us the tools. If, um, 
if we have our tools, you'll use our tools. Um, you, you just you just kind of handle it, and that's fantastic. Yeah. So, the way the way we look at it. Um, so again, being an MSP, being a really process driven guy myself, I look at it like, okay, what's best practice or what's good practice? Practice because there's no no such thing as best practice, right? Let's let's face it. There's good practice, and then there's better practice, and then um, and then it kind of it's it's a never ending thing. For us, we feel that we've got a good practice in place. We feel that the way we do it in our MSP is right. But if we meet a partner and they're like, we do it this way and we believe that's right, we will look at that and eventually what it comes down to is efficiency, operational efficiency, and it comes down to labour. The biggest cost to an MSP is the labour force, right? The biggest cost. If If you're hiring people, and I know you can automate stuff in... RMMs, and I know that your ticketing system can, you know, automatically do this that, and the other. But at the you end of the day, what's that, sir? You can only automate so much. You can only automate so much. So at the end of the day, a tech company is a labor company, right? Customer calls, some, some human typically has to deal with a problem and get it fixed. And so what we look at is, okay, is the system we, we're using driving labor cost up? or is it driving labour cost down? So when we're working with our partners, it's it, there's this saying, right, um, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Everybody says they're automated, but when we look at it, we say it's automated, but you've still got, um, you know, 50 hours a week being spent on these particular tasks. So it's not fully automated, right? There's still labour going into that. We look at that as benchmark and we say, we believe we can drive operational cost down by X if we uh, use a different system if we use a different process or if we just stop doing that, if we stop doing that thing. Um, so that's that's kind of the way that we approach it is that um, bring your system to the table, bring your process to the table. We'll do the same. Let's look at what's the most efficient. And then ultimately the reason that we're in business is to grow and to be profitable. So let's look at the way that we can do that together. Um, so sometimes that's, that's, that's kind of like, where we spend our most time talking up front, if, if that makes sense, is kind of getting away from the market, this tool versus that tool and down to what is the efficiency and what's the customer satisfaction as a result of that efficiency. Excellent. So with that, um, you know, talking about efficiencies, I know for smaller companies that maybe just have one or two people in them, um, one of the inefficiencies is, uh, you know, maybe they're on the phone or out on a call and they can't answer the phone. I would imagine that the help desk can take care of answering the calls and creating the tickets. Yeah, um, correct. People call in and press two for support or whatever they do. That's correct. Um, so that's pretty fundamental to to what we do. Sorry to cut you off. Go on. That's okay. So with with that, what if uh, can we just forward the phones to you? hypothetically and like you know what if what if some jerk uh, salesperson calls up looking to, to sell me something or whatever I mean what what do you do with those calls how angry do you guys get when you're getting them uh, first of all um, and, and I think even uh, one of my team members is, is on the webinar now she's the softest nicest person that I can imagine so um, I've never seen any of my staff get angry at the calls they're they're more than happy to take the calls Everything gets logged, right? So if we get a call from um, a client, it gets logged as a ticket. It gets escalated um, according to whatever 
you know, whatever whatever we've worked out as as an arrangement between our partner, typically we will just execute the ticket and get it done. Uh, if a vendor calls, we will take a message and we will let you know that a vendor called and, and you know, I'm going to guess nine times out of ten you're not going to call them back. So uh, so you, you can just take a note of that. We'll take a note of that. Um, your doctor calls and says, hey, you need to come in. We've got your, your test results. We'll take a note of that. Um, so it's it's fine. It's, it's it's no different from having someone in your office taking taking the call. Um, the only difference is that we can always take calls. We don't miss calls and we don't have text answering calls because um, this is a personal learning of mine is that having text answer calls actually costs your business quite a lot of money. Um, what tends to happen is that they they answer the call. Um, they're not billing for their time. So, you know, fixed fee or not, um, your texts need to be utilised towards an agreement uh, or need to be utilised towards billable time. Um, if they're answering the call, they're probably like, ah, that was just a phone call. So they spend 10 minutes on the call. That was just a phone call. Um, number one. Number two, they get distracted. We know that the brain, after it hangs up the phone, spends five or six minutes kind of looking around, wondering what they were doing before, eventually remembering, signing back into PSA and doing another ticket. What you want from your technical staff um, and what I want from my, my staff as well is effective utilisation. So um, we want them to be able to move effectively from ticket to ticket without distraction. Um, so whether... Um, you know, as a result of this webinar, people talk to me about benchmark. Something I would encourage you to do is look inside your business at how many times your tech is distracted from actually doing what you pay them for, which is to do the tech support, which is to get the tickets done. Um, yes. uh, so benchmark effectively takes that that element out as a minimum. Um, so you divert the number. Uh, we give you a dedicated number in your region. You divert the number. Um, we know that it's your number that's calling, so we know to we know who we're dealing with. We know that we're dealing with you or one of your clients, uh, and then we take the process from there. Excellent. So, um, do you offer? So, so you don't have text answering the calls. So you have what do you what do you give them as a title? Call answerer people. <laughs> Yeah, um, dispatcher, dispatch coordinator. Um, we also have we also have a, a quality assurance officer that may step in um, uh, to answer calls to build the process, um, okay. which is fantastic. Uh, you know, very strong English. Parents, English teachers, the whole the whole nine yards. Very, very, very strong in that on that front. We also have a, a client services manager who, if for any reason, uh, a customer, for example, gives a neutral or a negative survey, will actually ping back the end user and say, what could we do better? What happened? Um, as you would know, running a running an IT provider, uh, sometimes it's the customer. You know, the customer got the wrong end of the, of the stick there and it was actually something that was a misunderstanding. We'll explain that um, and get the facts. If it was negative for some other reason, we'll address that. So we'll talk to our partner and say, look, we had some feedback from, you know, John at XYZ Company, um, feels we could have done better here. Uh, here's what we told him. Here's what we've done about it. Um, maybe you'd like to give them a little bit of love as well. Um, that is way more than we ever had when we had a, a just a localised team, by the way, is, you know, think about these extra heads that I just mentioned, extra dispatchers, um, quality assurance, client services. We never have and markets because it's just uh, well not I wouldn't say never but it tends to be a function of a multi multi million dollar business um, versus a, a smaller MSP provider. Excellent. 
So now we got to get to the really tough questions. James, <laughs> your your uh, your website is very very cryptic. Like you know, I, I see, uh, what was that? That's good feedback. Thank you. What can we do better? Well, I mean, it doesn't really tell me where you are. Where are you again? Australia, right? Yeah, so I, I live in Australia uh, for the time being. Um, born and bred here, spent a lot of time in the Philippines. Um, our entity, if you will, is Australian, um, and our company is based in the Philippines. So the, the bulk majority of our staffing and our operations are Philippines-based. Um, we're a global provider. So our website will say, like, you know, US, Canada, Australia, um, wherever. Um, that's because we offer services to effectively um, every MSP in the world. Um, actually, I don't even see that. Like, I just literally see, you know, you've got the FAQ, frequently asked questions. You've got the about, which is like, you know, hey, guys, we are an offshore private label MSP. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. We know how to use all this stuff and look at all this other stuff we use. And it's like, you know, nowhere does it say where you are, where your help desk and knock are or anything, or what services are truly offered. Like, for example, do you guys have like maybe an answering only service without any technical stuff? No, look, not at this stage. Um, we thought about doing that, um, just, you know, doing that kind of first pass triage, but we really, believe that the value we add is in augmenting the technical team. Um, and, and I appreciate your feedback about the website, so it's something that we'll, we'll, we'll start to address. Um, the other thing that we haven't talked about is that we are here to underpin the sales efforts of the MSP uh, or an IT provider. And let me just, just walk through that um, very quickly. Uh, what we find is that whilst MSPs are struggling with delivery, something that they they tend to really struggle with is sales. So even if delivery is under control, uh, they might have a technical background, they might not have time to have thought about their, their pricing model or their marketing strategy. And what we find is once we get that kind of baseline under control, then we realise that there's another issue, that there's actually not enough um, new business coming in, there's not enough lead generation happening, there's not enough new business. So once we get a handle on um, the day-to-day -day operations of an MSP, we start to benchmark uh, the, the volume of work. We start to benchmark the number of clients and we provide statistics about that. And we can say that you are MSP A and we believe that you're underbilling by 20% compared to MSP B that's based in, um, you know, across the street from you that is actually doing differently. So a big part of what we do is not just, you know, answer the calls, do the support, but we're here to make sure that that MSP is growing as well and we want to work with MSPs that want to grow. Um, and clearly we need to articulate that better on our website as well. Um, all right, well, let's, let's ask the hardest question. What's, what's it cost to use you? What's it I, cost? I imagine there's gotta be a range. Like it's not just a flat rate or else that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, correct. Correct. Um, so I'll give you a very simple um, approach to pricing. Um, we have a number of partner levels. Partner level levels are effectively based on incidents and volume of work. Um, we give a range 
so that partners can self-assess. Uh, we had uh, 100 tickets a month, 200 tickets a month and so on. Um, self-evaluate, run it through the pilot, see if those numbers stack up and then we go from there. Um, at a bare minimum, our cost is $9.90 for an onboarding. It's a 15-day engagement and it's $9.90 for a pilot um, with uh, basically a, a, the approach that we've typically taken with that is to just hit us with what you've got so that we can analyse it and figure out where you fit um, moving forward. The goal being that um, we are never more than 50% full-time employee cost, but we give you a team. And, and 9.90 what? US dollars, correct. Australian dollars? Okay. Correct, US, yep. What if they're in Canada? US. Okay, but you're not in the US. <laughs> no, we're not. But you know, it's it's universal currency, pretty much. It just it just seems more logical and simpler to administrate, um, uh, just using U.S. dollars. Probably because U.S. is worth more, huh? Not always. Not always. That worm can turn sometimes. But uh, uh, look, it it just it just makes better sense. Um, it's simpler to communicate. Simpler from a from a billing perspective for everybody. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. So, so it's it's. I'm just going to round up because everyone likes round numbers, right? And uh, it sounds scarier when I say it's a thousand dollars, but it's practically a thousand dollars. So it's a thousand dollars to yeah. do onboarding, and then you said it's a thousand for a pilot. Mm -hmm. Correct. But I don't need to fly anywhere. So what? How long is a pilot? The pilot's 30 days. Um, okay. Think. Let's let's reverse it the other way, right? Um, let's look at the market. Let's look at most places in the United States, most places in Canada, most places in Australia. A good um, systems engineer, uh, first level, forty to fifty thousand dollars per annum, right? A level two, good level two, sixty to seventy-five thousand dollars per annum, right? Oh no, I'm I'm not I'm not arguing that at all. I don't think a thousand dollars is bad. Yeah, right? I'm not looking at this as a bad thing, but I'm trying to figure out what is okay. So so we're gonna get past the onboarding, and then we and then we give you the nine ninety for the the pilot, which is thirty days, and then mm -hmm. after that, I assume if we are under the one hundred ticket mark, it just continues to be a thousand a month, or or. How, yeah, how, what what happens beyond the pilot, and and what so so for the onboarding and the pilot, what are we actually getting? Is is that unlimited? All we can eat? You're just gonna take everything we throw at you, and it's all covered for the onboarding and the pilot until you figure out what we're actually, well, you know what we're actually going to need. Yeah, depends on the okay. depends on the size, right? So um, if you've got sure. ten. 10 engineers and you're doing um, 500 tickets tickets a, a week or whatever, um, we're not going to go into a pilot and just take take all of that on and happy days. It's a, a, a not not just because it, it would not be commercially viable, but B, um, we, like we need to scale up to meet that meet that particular demand. So um, sure. what, what we look at is what's a fair and reasonable approach for a pilot or you want to call it a trial um, and, you know, we give a lot of value during that stage. We understand that there's some learning um, for our partner and there's, so there's some learning for us. Ultimately, where do you end up is up to you. 
um, do you want us to do all volume? Then we'll provide um, a, a range of volumes for the partner to choose from and we will just stop at that volume or we will manage that volume for you. Um, some partners have, and, and there's a case study on the website where a partner had outsourced everything to us because he now focuses primarily on sales. So we've, he's doubled his revenue in 12 months, focuses on sales. And for him, it's not a question of what does benchmark cost, but effectively to deliver the same volume of work, you would need three people in his company, right? So, um, so we look at it as, well, we would not come in anywhere near those three people. Um, the reason that I that I sort of jumped out of my chair at the at the thousand dollars thing is sometimes I think one of our challenges in communicating benchmark is we're not a software vendor, so we're not selling a tool per endpoint that's five bucks an endpoint or twenty five bucks an endpoint. Um, it's a labour service, and what we're here to do is reduce labour overall labour cost for our partners, um, ideally by by fifty percent. Um, often it comes in at even less than that. Okay. And and I I don't think anyone is in disbelief about that. I think I think what we're just trying to figure out is so so I just want to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. That way if in two weeks from now someone says, Hey, how's how's that guy do the pricing over there? I, I can sound like I'm not a complete idiot. Ah, so cool. <laughs> um all right, so you have tiers. Right. So there's and it's not good, better, best. It's volume. Right. Correct. It's volume. Okay. Yeah. And if any of okay. your so if anybody listening in wants pricing, it's something that we're just happy to send over. So we have an information pack that we can send. Um, we usually do a little bit of triage, if you will, around volumes before we just say, you know, here's a price. We just we just want to make sure that we understand your needs correctly and then we um, are happy to share that information. Um, you can contact us via the website, which uh, Steve has pointed out needs an update, uh, or um, you can just contact me directly, which is james at benchmark365.com. Um, and is that, you said that's something that you that you give out. I mean, I'm just gonna throw out there, if you click the little button in the bottom right, it says go backstage. Yep. And then there's a section called handouts. You could hypothetically drag that file into there and, and let people have access to that from here. Um, obviously, yeah. I know you're trying to build your sales funnel, but yeah. <laughs> um, there, um, there, there's just still a lot of, of mystery. And I think a lot of people, and I'm, I'm looking in the chat, and a lot of people are saying, okay, he's still building value. He's, he's still trying to prove to us that, his his pricing is is stellar and that and that we're going to get everything that it's worth and i and i think that's the part where we it's not that we don't believe you we, we just want to know the price <laughs> right. and and beyond that like okay so let's let's say i'm on the smallest tier volume do i stay at a thousand dollars a month correct yes okay so our minimum tier is 990 per month okay so and that's for 100 tickets a month yeah, so <laughs> I don't I'm just, actually. I'm just trying to in front of me, but I'm, um, I'm super small, okay. So I'm just I'm just looking at this uh, for for me right now, yeah. okay. So 
So it's a thousand dollars a month for up to a hundred tickets. And, and what, what do you guys consider a ticket? Is a ticket something that goes from dispatch to a technician? Or if that pesky sales guy from uh, ConnectWise calls and they make a note and, and just, I don't know if they email me or whatever, is, yeah. is that a ticket? Yeah, so um, we, we look at this like this. Um, how many dumb tickets do you get a day, right? You get a whole bunch of, you know, knock tickets that um, can be, probably just be closed. You know, it might take a minute mm -hmm. to close those. You might get, um, you know, as you say, pesky sales um, emails sent through to your support email. What we're ultimately looking at is what is the labour? What's involved in this? If it's 100 incidents that are real incidents that we have to address and it fits within um, what, we, what we would call a fair use policy, then that's fine. If it's a bunch of dumb tickets, we'll just close them. We're not going to say, hey, we need to upgrade you to the next level now because of this. Everything will just come down to labour. At the end of the day, it will come down to, you know, if we're spending, you know, if the average MSP 100 tickets is um, X number of hours per month, but, you know, every ticket we come across is, um, for whatever reason, convoluted and complex, we'll talk to you about that because it's got to fit within a, within a fair use range. The bottom, okay. line, bottom line in this is that we're a partner. So the idea is that sure. we're, we're able to meet the demand and um, that's effectively when it comes to pricing, there's always going to be some questions around, well, what if we hit 101 tickets? Well, if you hit 101 tickets, we'll apply some fair use variation. We might say, look, you're not more than 10% over your plan, so let's just keep it at that. Let's not, let's not change it. If we're growing, so you're going from 100 tickets to 200 tickets, the question that we would put to you is, is your business growing or are we just seeing an excessive amount of volume this month? If your business is growing, let's assign some more resource to this so that we can grow with you and your business can grow. What we don't want to see is businesses going down. We want to see the, the volume going up. Sure. Because that, that means, ideally, that means you've got more customers. So, so with that, with that fair use logic, um, yep. so let's say on average, and, and this is probably close to accurate for my business anyway, let's say on average, we get uh, 50 tickets a month. Yep. Um, and then I go and I do uh, a big server upgrade for a client and I want you to help with that. Yep. Are you going to be able to do some of that help within that scope of a thousand dollars or is that above and beyond? Um, so I think the question was that um, you've got a server, was it a server rebuild or a server? Just a server upgrade, like migrating from one server to another. Like obviously I would go and do the physical moving, but yeah. if, if it came to, uh, hey guys, it's like uh, 100 gigs, can you just migrate it over tonight at three in the morning, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah. make sure that it, make sure that you, you uh, have the, the, domain controller, migrate all the FISMA roles and all that stuff. Like what kind of stuff is deemed a project versus a ticket or do you not really have that, that defining line? Oh, there's, I, there's always a defining line, right? Um, obviously there are, there are projects that require um, scheduling, um, maybe senior resources involved, maybe some customer um, communication and engagement. 
um, we would imagine that most of our partners wouldn't just say, oh, by the way, we've got a server migration tonight. Here's a ticket. Get it done. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so I shouldn't do that. Got it. <laughs> so um, we look at we look at that. We would look at that as a project. Um, we would have a project team assigned to that. But by the way, that's that's not an issue technically for us to deliver. It's pretty common. Um, also, three five migrations are very common. In fact, they're a daily a daily affair in our in our business these days. Um, we would treat that separately. We would treat that as a project. Um, we would come to you prior to that project being executed and obtain a scope of work from you so that we know exactly how you want it done and what you want done. Sometimes our partners say, can you develop the scope of work so we can actually engage our team uh, to develop the scope of work, have you sign off on it, maybe you can go and get the customer sign off on it, and then we'll deliver the piece of work. And that was going to be my next question was, um, what if uh, a, a customer comes up to me with something I've never done before? Uh, and, and it's something that's, that's you know, a, a reasonable request. It's within the scope of what you guys normally do. I just yeah. have no idea how to do it. Is that something I can say to you guys, hey, I have, a, I have my, my customer needs this done. Yep. Can you help me figure it out? <laughs> that's really common. That's actually really common, by the way. Um, okay. And is often, often, like, think about how big this industry is, right, and how many different products there are out there and how many different applications there are out there. There is no one all-seeing, all-knowing Oracle MSP. Um, so it is actually very common for a partner to come to us and say, look, I think the client needs this or they've asked me for this. Have you guys done one of these before? And, and of course, if we have, we will pull out our process and our um, our scope, if you will, of, of, of what we've done before and um, underpin you. So you will give you something that you can take back to your client and make you sound like um, you've done this before because your team has effectively, your benchmark team has done it before and we can deliver that. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, so just to clarify for Zach, um, maybe he missed it. Projects, uh, even if I'm well under my actual usage for my fair use on the hundred tickets, projects are always above and beyond and, and are an additional cost. Yeah, so that's a really good question, by the way. Um, it's something that we, we think about a lot. First of all, we haven't found too many partners that fall significantly under uh, Tier 1 level, meaning that um, they may, for example, have fewer tickets, but they might have a higher labour volume uh, or they might have a, they might have a, higher lab, uh, sorry, a, a higher ticket count and a low labour volume. But going back to the fair use thing, um, we look at it, we look at different vectors, and this is why it's hard to just say, here's a, here's a price sheet, off you go, because I, I think sometimes it needs a little bit of hand-holding to understand how we do it and how it actually works out fair for the partner and also a win-win between our two organisations. So sure. I'm more, just more than happy, more than happy um, just to clarify, to share um, pricing, but I feel that it, it warrants a discussion with the partner to really convey this in, in in terms of the size of their business and what they need at this stage of the game. Um, and I think that sounds reasonable. I mean, we we have a we have a base, and that's the important part. We're yeah. we're just trying to figure out what the base was, and we have that number. And, yeah. and I'm, I mean, 
not made of money, but I would say I'm comfortable with that number. It, yeah. it sounds reasonable, especially for uh, the fact that that includes up to 100 tickets. We haven't really figured out like how how many, because I'm sure there's more more metrics than than simply how many hours is considered fair use, because it, so, it could also be was this tier one hours or tier three hours. I have to pay those people differently. I I know that there's a lot of different metrics involved in this for you. Yeah. Um, Ballpark. So what would you what would you say on average your your existing tier one customers use when it comes to tickets and time involved on tickets? Let me just go back to uh, what we talked about in fair use. So I will share the fair use uh, link uh, with with you, and you're welcome to share that out as well. Um, fair use is a number of things, right? Um, let's think about what happens day to day. You've signed a managed services contract with a 10-user site. Awesome. Uh, maybe you're charging them a 1000 bucks a month, maybe more, maybe less. Um, what are some of the things that result in that not being commercially reasonable for you? Um, one is unreasonable expectations of the client. So the client says, every day at 9.01, I want you to call and I want you to do this, this, and that. And that, that contract becomes unviable because the demand, the, 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 the demand is an unreasonable expectation excessive hours can be an unreasonable expectation um excessive uh sorry lack of doc documentation and not constructive way of dealing with that can can result in some fair issue fair use issues for example um guys just go and figure it out uh, i don't have a document i don't have the password um go and figure it out fortunately as i said that doesn't actually happen um, with our partners, but these are some of the things that are stipulated in fair use. Um, what you asked, what is the average kind of usage in in terms of hours, um, hours versus tickets? Um, we talked a little bit about that before, so maybe sixty percent or more of tickets are fairly simple, um, uh, first level, maybe bordering on second level support. Um, you would know from your own stats that these are these are less than an hour um, to do. Some are five minutes, some are 15 minutes. What we do for our partner is we display all of that on a dashboard that they can see. So in real time, they can see the time that we're putting into the tickets. They can query um, the time that's going on to a particular job, like, hey, guys, why is this one taking so long? And we can flag in in, in which vector this is causing a problem for us. Maybe it's an issue with uh, uh, accessing the customer site. Maybe it's a documentation problem whole bunch, whole array of things that go on here. So what we try to do is give you a range, not hold you to the minute, not hold you to the minute but it um, effectively gives you a baseline that you can work from that you know what your staffing costs now are. Um, and it's a, it's probably a darn sight better than figuring out whether your staff are billing, you know, more than 60 or 70% of their time because we provide it to you in a visible way. Got it. And then uh, since we're able to literally throw everything at you, um, Zach said the most common project that he does is onboarding new customers. So for the sake of argument, let's say it's, you know, 15 seats, three servers, two access points, a switch, a router, and three printers. I assume they're all network printers. Um, is that something that, that your guys can, we can just say, you know, I don't really feel like documenting this. Can mm. you guys just do that? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, what I would ask Zach in terms of the onboarding is, 
What is your average onboarding time? How much labor do you spend or do your people spend on onboarding a new customer? Well, I think, I think with the scope of this, it would literally be, we've gone on site, we've deployed the RMM, we're, we're taking care of uh, the hands-on stuff, the, the working with the customer stuff and training them. And we just want your guys to, and I would assume it could probably even be a tier one person, assuming they know how to read and write. Um, <laughs> we just need someone to, to go through the RMM and make sure that uh, everything's being documented correctly in the IT glue or IT boost or word or whatever documentation system we use. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what passwords are there? Uh, Cause we're, we probably have gotten some type of sheet, I would assume from the customer. Hey, uh, I need all these passwords from you. And um, we get all those passwords on the sheet. We need someone to put it in the IT glue and make it look good. Um, we, uh, we need all of those items to be linked up with the correct items and users and, um, everything else in it glue. Um, yeah. are you guys still able to hear me? Cause my computer is doing crazy things again. I can hear you fine. Okay, good. Um, um really, really simple, quick answer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And well, is that a project or? Or is uh, five I, would, tickets? I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that that's a project. I would think that that's a, that's a ticket. Uh, if it's a lot, a lot of documentation, let's start again. Let's start again. And this is why I asked what's involved in, in this. Right. We work to your process. You're not, you're not okay. working with us. If, if you're lacking a process, you can use ours by all means. But we work to your process. So if you said to me, look, um, we just got like a, a standard process where we get a new customer, which by the way, we need to know about the new customer. It's kind of like we're your team. So we would need to know. We got a new partner, a new customer starting uh, next Monday and we need to onboard them and we need to go live with them. So we need it to be very professional. So we need to go through an onboarding process. You onboard and we onboard um, to make sure that uh, we can service them effectively and we're, we're uh, delivering to your standards and to what, expectations you've set with your client so uh, sure. you know to us that's just fundamental i mean we're part of the team so it's not a it's not about whether it's a project or a ticket it's about great we've got another customer let's get them onboarded so that we can deliver effectively and we would be saying to you when are you going to get your next customer like the the whole driver for us is when are you going to get the next customer because we freed you up from doing all of that stuff mm -hmm. And and that's good. So, um, and and so that's fair. Obviously, obviously, um, you are helping us by doing all the tedious work. <laughs> is is really what we're looking at? Um, it's almost like tedious, busy work. It's it's borderline administrative work. When when I'm when I'm talking about literally just going through and making sure all the links are set up correctly with the documentation and passwords and, and whatever else. Um, so it would be an, an, a team-based onboarding. Um, I would think that we're doing all the heavy lifting and all the thinking and your guys would be just more or less making sure everything is inputted correctly yeah. into the systems. So, and that, and that brings a, a, another fair point, you know, obviously the size of the new customer, um, the 
process we use, all of these things are determining factors of how long some of this stuff takes. And I get that. Um, right. I was just trying to figure out like, you know, if, if it's a small customer and small to me being like 10, 15 or fewer, something like that as far as users, um, is just helping make sure that everything's documented correctly. Is that a uh, project or a ticket? And it sounds like you said that sounds like um, it would be a ticket. Obviously, if we're if we're onboarding 50, 100, 200 seats, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's a project, and I get that because that's truly a project. Yeah. Um, Look at it this way: um, it's got to be mutually beneficial, right? Like, of course, it's, you can I mean, you're in business to make money too. I get it. Oh no, I don't. I don't even mean it like that. And um, but 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 yeah, I, I appreciate it. What I, <laughs> what I mean is that why would we want to say, oh look, no, we. We're going to have to charge you a thousand bucks to do that. Um, you're bringing on a new customer. You haven't even made your first dollar out of that customer, and we're turning around and saying, "Boy, we've got a big, big uh, opportunity to claw some money out of your pocket on this." What I would look fantastic. at from a fair from a fair use perspective is, I would say, "Okay, um, uh, partner's getting a new customer. Awesome. Um, partner needs a little bit of uh, uh, documentation done." Looks like it's going to take an hour or two. Fine, um, but like you said, Steve, if there is uh, lots of things like that in a month, then that would be cause for a discussion to say, guys, you're really growing. The number of hours is incrementing up. The number of tickets is going up, and we think it would be more appropriate um, in order for us to do our job properly and for us to provide you with an effective team. That this this might fall outside of um, your current level agreement. And we, we would recommend that you upgrade. You don't have to, but we recommend you would. Um, or we need to treat this like a special case or a special project. And I, and I think that we all do that in managed services too, right? Like we have loads of customers in managed services and they're all fine, like they're okay. But every now and then something happens that it's like, mm, we didn't really think of this when we, when we came up with this fixed fee uh, process for that customer. And we have to go and talk to them and say, look, this is a weekend job. It's going to take 20 hours. It's, you know, we've got to engage people on weekends. It's not falling under your MSP contract. So we're exactly, we think the same as you and we act the same as you as what's fair and reasonable, what becomes a challenge um, from a commercial perspective. And we haven't had any, any, um, right. any we haven't had anyone say that that sounds unreasonable. Does that make sense? Well, and it doesn't because, you know, let's say I bring on uh, 10 new clients at, uh, we'll, we'll say they're small clients, right? And and we'll say that on average, it's $1,000 a month MRR. You know, if I just brought in 10 grand of, of new monthly recurring revenue, chances are I'm going to have you doing a lot more work. Uh, so if I need to bump up to the next tier, I, I guess the way I'm looking at it is, duh. <laughs> so i mean that doesn't sound uh at all unreasonable to me um yeah Jordan so what, said, what, what sorry, people think of is is that they're going to get gouged right like but remember our reputation is absolutely paramount we don't want a, a situation where you know people go out and say hey Benchmark is too expensive. They're, you know, every time something comes up, they're charging us. We don't, we don't want that. What we want is a partnership. What we want is for it to be a win-win between the two of us. So, um, so it's, you know, it's, it, 
I, I understand the questions because I can see how this has happened in the industry a lot. Um, but also, I think... Unfortunately, we've, we as MSPs have dealt with a lot of... What's the technical term? Bullshit. Uh, that's, we've, we've dealt with a lot of bullshit. Um, you know, we, we get nickel and dimed at every turn. Um, and, and we just feel like, you know, I get it. You know, you're, you're not a not-for-profit. Okay. You are a for-profit business. You have a right to, to go out and make yourself a lot of money. And I get that. Um, and, and when, as an MSP, I have on average 70% margin, let's be reasonable. Right. Um, I, I get that all you're asking is for a, a small chunk of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think, I think we can all agree on that. Is, is that accurate attendees that, that we can all agree on that? Um, what, what we don't agree on is, you know, when, when you've got help desk companies that it feels like their goal is to answer the call and see how quickly they can pass the ticket back to us to have us work the ticket for whatever stupid excuse they came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we don't, we don't feel, we don't, we don't like spending our money on something that's not actually bringing us value. Yeah. And, and that happens to us a lot more than we care to admit. Um, I've, I've said before in other webinars, I'm the guy that has used every PSA and RMM tool at least twice. Uh, I have a problem, okay? Uh, <laughs> um, someone someone brought up and what was that? There's a support group for that somewhere? There, there probably is. I'm sure of it. Uh, at ASCII, they beat me up. In Discord, they beat me up. You know, everyone's always asking me what tools I'm using this week. Uh, and that's why I started doing webinars, man, because I've literally tried it all. Why not just tell people about it, right? Um, so <laughs> so with that, there's there's an RMM company out there that has a help desk and knock available to you. And uh, Zach, Zach even said uh, they'll actually resolve maybe 20 of the 20% of the tickets they, they get. Um, and that's both on the help desk and the knock side. Like, I feel like the, the help desk, at least they were in America. I felt like I could, you know, they could relate with my customers. The knock was in like the boonies of India. And, um, it was, it was not the best experience because like a knock engineer would call me at three in the morning and say, Hey, uh, this customer server's down. And I would say it's three in the morning. I don't care. And I'd hang up on them and they'd keep calling me because the server is down. <laughs> like, I don't have a key to this place. Leave me alone. Um, and, and I feel like they just, they didn't have any logic. They didn't, they just wanted their hands held and they wanted to pass things on. And it, and it was like that with literally every other uh, outsourced help desk and knock service that I've used. So with me, you know, I'm skeptical. Um, everything that you've said sounds like you have, have taken the whole outsourced knock and help desk and just flipped everything upside down. And, and you're, and you're almost like disrupting that market and that's good. And I'm excited, but I'm still hesitant. You know, my guard is still up and I'm sure a lot of people are feeling that exact 
that exact same way. Yeah. So um, uh, this is something I'm, I'm pretty passionate about, as you can gather. First of all, um, I told you how this journey started, right? We went offshore, uh, set up a team. Make it, you know, it's like a soundbite, right? We just went overseas. We set up a team and here we are today. Um, we tried like a whole bunch of stuff and one of them was a, a knock um, based out of India. I won't name names. Um, and it was a disaster. What we found is that there was no accountability, right, at all. And everything was escalated back to us. So we would wake up in the morning and see that, oh, hey, we, we got a ticket and we need you to work on it, right? And it was like, well, why, why are we paying for this service? It was just an absolute waste of time and money. And, yeah, yes, sometimes it looks cheap, but it was just it was just kind of like this. Um, we thought that it would take uh, work away from our, our guys that were on call, and all that was happening is that they were just getting, there was just an extra step in the process. Like, what a waste of time. What an absolute waste of time. So um, when I when we experienced that and it was pretty poor and the communication was pretty poor, we said, look, we just cannot um, we cannot go with this service because it doesn't offer enough breadth for us to deliver our our services to our clients. And we eventually, after um, a couple of years and a few grey hairs that are appearing now, we eventually built our own team out. So the difference between benchmark and a knock is that the full gambit of services are there so if a knock ticket actually turns into a customer incident these guys are all in the same team and they're working that issue through to completion that's a that's a first the second thing is how would it benefit us from a growth perspective to escalate everything back to you like it would keep it would keep us at a, at a low level engagement with you which is not it's it's not our priority what we want is partners that are doubling year on year which we have a couple of good examples of that uh, occurring at the moment. Um, okay. Why would we, why would we want to be like, oh, hey, we only did ten tickets for you this month? It's crazy. What we're looking at is our our closure rate. We're looking at the success of benchmark for you. Um, and we, if we see that you're now going, oh, hey, we got to hire more people uh, in our company, in your company, um, because benchmark isn't delivering, then it, that the whole service unravels. It's a disaster. It would be a disaster for us. So we're, we're, that, that's not our focus at all. So we're not just a knock. Uh, we're not in India, um, not, to, not to cast any aspersions, of, uh, Steve, on that, but we're not in India. Um, it's a totally different play to what you're seeing out there in the market uh, previously. And um, we're, we're going to, this is going to come full circle back to that, back to that down server, okay? So... Okay. Do you guys help configure the RMM if, if you see something seems misconfigured or anything like that? Or do you have any best practices? Uh, yes, I will get to compliance bill, I promise. Um, uh, best practices as far as how an RMM should be set up, um, how monitoring should be done, how updates should be done, uh, how to set up um, maintenance modes and all that stuff so that way if it goes down for updates you like no and it's not just a town server can you help set all that stuff up <laughs> so we've got a alert right and the server's down is that correct yeah, yeah remember i got that phone call at three in the morning server's down server's down yeah so um we, we don't just have like a knock guy there that just you know um looks at the ticket escalates it 
there's a team there, so they're going to investigate. Why is the server down? What's happening? Who is the uh, contact point potentially on site that we need to talk to if it's a physical issue? If we need to contact you, does it? It's because we require an on-site engineer, or we can't get the server back up online. So absolutely, we just run that through the same way that you would in your team. Same same structure, same technical capability. We would try to fix it, and if we ran into any roadblocks, um, usually because the thing's dead, uh, we would call you and say, "Hey, you've got a type one, and you need to get someone out on site." Right. So, but will you will you like? For example, will you look at Kaseya or LabTech or insert here RMM tool and and say, okay, I see the server's down and it looks like it actually was was rebooted successfully after doing some updates. So it, it doesn't have the, the maintenance mode configured correctly, which is why it started creating tickets. Yes. Would you then say, hey, Steve, can we reconfigure your RMM tool to add some things so it creates less tickets. Yes. Okay. So so you have best practices available for how an RMM should be configured and and would be willing to help make changes with all that type of stuff. Yeah. So um, if we're seeing, um, you know, for example, monotonous tickets coming through every day that are meaningless and not giving us the information that we need, we're going to come back and talk to you about that. Um, we have a monthly review um, because keep, keep in mind, right, you know, we've only talked about some very um, peripheral things like how many tickets a month, uh, how many hours a month, how many, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, remember that we're looking at all of this data, right? Like it's our business. It's our business to look at um, what's happening every day on the ground and to make changes and adapt to our partners to meet their demand. That's, that's in our best interest. So we will do a review, and if we find that there's something that, that you know, really isn't working well uh, in the RMM or really isn't working well from a um, support perspective, we'll talk to you about it, we'll give you our advice, and with your permission, we'll implement it. Um, what we won't do is implement any change in your environment or your customer's environment without your um, permission to do that. Um, obviously. So if we identify any form of change request or if we feel that we may need to um, trigger a change request, we will stop and get authority before we action that. Perfect. Um, there, there's more comments in here, but I want to get to this because it's important. Um, are you able to be compliant? So let's say I have clients that are in the financial industry or in the legal industry or any other industry where there's HIPAA, SOX, uh, FINRA, the one that starts with a G that I can't think of, <laughs> GBLA or something like that. Um, what, what can you do there? Okay. Um, we've had advice, we've had conflicting advice on this matter. Um, and I think it, it depends on who you talk to. But um, let's just talk broadly about compliance. Um, we're not, you're not offshoring any data uh, with us. We're not downloading any data from you or your client systems. We're providing remote support. We're logging in with the tools that either you provide to us or the tools that we supply, and we're logging on and doing remote support. So um, 
there are different viewpoints on this. Some just say absolutely not. Um, it's not 100% compliant and we're not going to do it. And to that we say that's that's fine, that's a, that's disappointing for us, but um, we're, we respect that. For others, they've done research, they've, they've sought some legal advice and found that because we are not an offshore, say, cloud provider or an offshore um, backup provider, we are an offshore support provider, that um, there is no compliance issue with that so far as their, their advice and, and to a certain extent our advice as well. Um, what I would so, what I so would what it sounds like is is some some MSPs uh, have done research or maybe just not done research uh, yeah. and and have determined that uh, they're not comfortable using you for anything that would be compliance driven because you are offshored. Others have determined that because the data is is keeping its sovereignty, wherever it is, it's staying there, and all you're doing is providing remote support, that their legal counsel has advised that, that you would be compliant. Correct. And it sounds like you're not going to tell us a definitive yes or no. You're probably going to say, do your own research and have your own attorney uh, draw that conclusion so that way when when you get sued that same attorney can be the one that helps you uh yeah. is, is that is that accurate 100 percent um good good <laughs> good insight there so for me it's um seek your own advice we um the, the crazy thing about some of these compliance laws is you take a trip to mexico you log on to one of your customer servers uh technically speaking you may may be not compliant um depending on which um depending on where you get your advice. So I think that you need advice um, pertinent to your industry um, and pertinent to the compliance that needs to be met. Um, I can see if where Benchmark offers that as a, you know, certified compliance that will require um, continued growth within our company. I can see that happening in the future. But for now, what we're here to do is to help MSPs with their um, help desk support and help them with their sales and their profit. And um, would you guys be willing to sign a business associate agreement, BAA, for HIPAA compliance? Uh, again, yes, yeah, subject to um, any advice that we receive on that, I, I believe we would. Um, I, I can't see an issue. I, actually, maybe another elephant in the room is we often have a, a question about, um, you know, like the we don't know who you are, we don't know who the staff are. We're talking about a very mature middle-class employment market where we're based. Um, people that drive cars and have iPhones and go through a normal reference check, go through, um, have worked for companies like, you know, IBM. Oh, Lexus, they have Apple. iPhones in the Philippines? They have iPhones. Well, <laughs> it's surprising that I see, you know, my team walking around with, like, the latest iPhone, and I'm like, I don't even have the latest iPhone. I'm still on the last the last version, but I think there's this misconception that it's like, you know, some random, you know, island in the in, in, in the middle of nowhere and that people are working from home. Yes, sure, that happens, but no, this is a, a corporate office with proper recruitment processes, proper compliance, confidentiality agreements signed, and none of our people would be willing to risk their reputation, their employment reputation on um, uh, breaching anything from a compliance perspective. So um, 
so in answer to your question, yes, if someone wants to send us an agreement, we will review it. And if we can get our um, highly expensive lawyers to sign off on it, then we will sign it. Absolutely. I'll do everything in my power to break down those barriers. Excellent. And just to clarify, um, going back to some of these other statements here, um, Justin said, it'll be interesting to see if this business model is successful. It seems to me that their offering is a bit too wide, which may be a downfall. Specializing in ticketing help desk for a fixed monthly fee based upon clients served seems like it would be the sweet spot including projects or onboardings seem like it's opening a door to disaster as far as pricing and expectations goes. Yeah. So I don't think we ever said we include projects. Um, what, what there was a specific question around a small micro thing that needed to be done that might, might take an hour or two. And I said that if it falls under um, fair use, then by all means we, we'd get it done. Projects are separate, need to be scoped out. We charge for projects. Um, and you would agree on that, and it would be at a at a fraction of what you would um, t- it would typically take for you to deliver it um, locally there in there in the states or here in Australia. Um, in terms of the scalability of the model, um, something that we've put a lot of thought into. First of all, where I see, um, not to mention any kind of competitors' names, but um, where I see is the scale is way too vast. So there's like you know 500 people, 700 people. And they, um, you, you can get a different person every day of the week, right? So what we do is our, our team are broken down into pods or what you might refer to as two pizza teams. So they're only assigned a limited number of accounts. They're only uh, trained um, on those limited number of accounts. So we're not just giving them like a, a whole bunch of broad knowledge across across multiple partners. We, we train them so that they specialise in those partners um, and we believe that that is quite scalable. It's, 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 it's working well so far. Um, it's always going to be a challenge. And what the only commitment that I can make is like that this is my life. Like I, I'm so passionate about this. I've been doing it for long enough. Um, we come up against obstacles and we fix them. Um, if I could uh, share half the problems that we've had this week in sort of growing and scaling a business, um, we need another several hours to talk about it, and I might need. To talk about it. Um, but this is like you know, my I am so 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 determined, so passionate about this industry. Um, what what frustrates me the most about this industry is this IT services industry is a ninety six billion dollar global market, right? And yet, day in day out of the thousands and thousands of MSPs that I meet, I hear things like either a there's not enough work. Or B, we can't deliver the work, right? How crazy is that? Where there's $96 billion of services out there to be delivered. Um, get it? Some of that's enterprise and some of us guys aren't playing in that space. But that is a big market. That is a really big market. Yet most MSPs struggle to make it past half a million or $1 million a year in annual revenues. Very few make it beyond $1 million in annual services revenue. And I've got the data to show for that. And the reason for that is that they struggle to deliver. And what we're trying to do is provide a solution for that. So, um, you know, the phone is answered, right? Great. First, second, third level support, done. Great. Projects are delivered, great. Can we do it all? You might say no, and you might need to augment with us. You might need to keep a couple of people that can do 
very specialized stuff. We're never going to do on-site for you. I'll just put that out there right now. We're never going to be able to come you know, fly on out and drop a drop a box in. That's what you're there to do. We're never going to account manage your client or sell to your client. That's what you're there to do. So I hear that worry. Uh, leave it on my shoulders. I'll, t- I'll take care of it. Fair enough. Um, how, how long has Benchmark 365 been around? We, we did our first pilot um, with a company called Infinite Edge. You can check them out on our website. Um, they're, they're, they're your uh, case study, yeah. Case study. So we did our first pilot with uh, Martin from Infinite Edge in uh, May or June of 2016. That pilot was incredibly successful, and we launched Benchmark not long thereafter. Um, and so you, you've been alive for over a year. Yeah, about 16 months. Yeah. Okay. And how many uh, engineers or technicians of, of all the different tiers and all that, how many employees do you have that are doing tech work? Uh, we have currently 33 employees um, covering all time zones, and that is growing. Yeah. So so you're you're still small, you're still nimble, but it, it sounds like you're continuing to see growth uh, month over month. So um, it doesn't feel like this is a, a failing business model for you by any means. There's not a day that goes by that we don't hear from half a dozen MSPs looking to work with Benchmark. Um, there's, when, there's something about uh, our approach that I think works well. I think that, um, and I certainly like, I hate being locked in, right? I hate it when a, a, a new tool comes out in the, in the space and they're like, you got to sign this two year contract and commit to X thousand agents or whatever. It drives me crazy um, because I can't predict in my MSP what it's going to look like necessarily a year from now. Um, We don't do that with Benchmark. So it is um, effectively a service that you can start and stop. Um, And I think that we'd like to keep it that way because I believe that MSPs want to be able to decide their own destiny. They want to be able to decide where they where they want to go. So effectively what happens is once we get past the numbers, and we've shared a few of those today, and once we get past these questions which are very common, people say, well, what have I got to lose, right? Like I, I can just go, go at this for, for a month, two months, three months, see how it goes, and if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll, we'll try something else. So I think that level of flexibility is what's driving a lot of growth for for benchmark three six five at the moment. Um, I have more. I'm just trying to figure out which one I want to do next. Um, you're not going anywhere, then. Is really what it sounds like. Man, I I, I got nowhere to go. Uh, a couple of months from <laughs> so committed. By the way, so committed that in a couple of months' time, I've convinced my wife and and what will be three kids that we're going to move to uh, North America. We're going to start in the US and we're heading up to Canada where she's from originally um, because I believe in, the, in, in, in growing this and I believe that I need to have a presence as CEO of the company uh, in, uh, in your side of the world. Uh, that's a commitment right there. Like I've got a house with a white picket fence here. We're going to pick, pick up and we're going to move over there because I'm very, very happy. You're talking about... Um, a business that I've committed to a team of people. So I've hired a whole bunch of people who I'm incredibly passionate about working with 
Um, and yet, actually, I, I do want to say one thing is that I do understand the biases and prejudices towards offshore and all of that, but um, this is, this is, this is like people, right? Like this is not, it's not some random kind of behind the scenes, you know, robot somewhere. These are people, like these are people with um, a job, with families that go to work, that work for me, uh, that, that um, support Benchmark 365 and our partners every day. So it's a bit of a foreign thing for me that when, when people ask about, you know, some of the, some of the, I guess the negative sides of it, because I don't see it. I actually don't see it because I've, I've, I've been doing it for so long and I've lived in that country and I've spent a great deal of time with my people that I just see this as my team. This is my staff, right? These are, and what I would say to everyone in the world, um, US, Canada, Australia, UK, it's not about where your people are. It's about what your people do, right? If you can find an amazing person that doesn't live in your country, but they can do a great job, the way the world is structured now with technology, there's no reason not to hire that person. There's no reason not to give that person a chance to have a great life and to give them an opportunity to work and grow. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to say that piece because I know that um, some biases have been set by the very large telcos that are out there and some of the very large NOC providers, and I want to buck that trend and humanise what we're doing here. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, someone here said... Um, his corporate service desk back in the day, they were in Manila and the service desk agents had a tendency to live at the office by sleeping under their desk. <laughs> and they were poor. This is a, this is a funny story, by the way. Um, when we first started. Oh God. <laughs> it's going to get worse, isn't it? <laughs> when we, by the way, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Manila and uh, I have um, even very large corporations that should be managed better are not. And um, I've gone into offices after a bit of a drinking session with buddies over there, looked around and none of the people are to be seen. They're all under the desk sleeping. There's no one overseeing it. I even went to the airport once and uh, I'm a, I fly Qantas because I'm from Australia and I went to the airport and I went to the Qantas uh, administrative office because I had a problem with my ticket and they were all asleep. And I was like, this is like a global company and they're all they're all asleep. So the problem with the larger corporations is that they don't assign enough um, value to their offshore teams. And they're usually just like an on-call service. They're not like a core team. So it's like they sleep and then they kind of prod each other when the phone rings and someone deals with it. We obviously can't run Right. So like our nighttime, our nighttime is your daytime. Our nighttime here, like it's um, just coming on seven in the morning here. Our nighttime is your daytime. So we need a full team on hand. Uh, we need supervisors on hand. We need to make sure that everybody's awake and functioning and has coffee and works like it's their normal day. So that, that, that no sleeping. Uh, but when we first started out, we obviously had to build a night team before we took on customers. Right. We couldn't just say we just market to, you know, to North America and then win a client and then hire a team. It wouldn't work that way. So I said to my guys, look, I know you're not going to have anything to do. And I know that uh, you're probably, one of you are going to be tempted to sleep. My only request is that you don't sleep together, right? And they were like, we don't sleep together. And I was like, no, no, I mean, like, you don't both fall asleep at the same time. You've got to, like, one of you has got to be awake just in case, you know, something comes in. So in the early days, I, we were totally okay with that. If you want to get some sleep at night, 
knock yourself out if there's no if there was no work to do. But it's not like that today because we got customers to serve. It just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. So uh, fully understand that. I've seen that in Vanilla. Um, it's, it's, yeah, there you go. So even though you're outsourced, are they paid well for where they live? Totally. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is a this is a big one as well, right? Um, obviously, parts of the of the Philippines are a third world country, um, and it's tragic. Um, some some of the um, challenges that they face regionally um, have resulted in a very very low minimum wage in some parts of the country um, that um, would not be acceptable um, for us. And it's certainly not acceptable for our team who are primarily degree educated, um, qualified, competent, certified engineers and customer service personnel. Um, so they are paid very well. Um, you know, you, you would see in a, in a third world country, you would see that a lot of people get to work on a, um, on a tuk-tuk or a jeepney or they walk or they can't get to work. Um, most of our people drive, you know, modern cars. I've mentioned before, they've got iPhones, they a middle class, they're middle middle class or upper middle class employees that live in the city, so they're not out regional somewhere. They live in the city and they go to work just like you and I do. And how many of them drive Teslas? I've never seen a Tesla in the Philippines. I'm sure there's one there. I see, I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of Honda, uh, I see a lot of Toyota, and um, and I see a lot of Kia. And but I don't see any Teslas. I see a few Mercedes and BMWs too, but I don't see any Teslas at this stage. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I think I've I've touched on everyone's questions. Um, I, I just want to recap. Uh, we we beat up poor James here on pricing a lot, and I think I don't think he was necessarily trying to be shifty about the pricing. There's just a lot of metrics that go uh, in to his pricing, and it's and it's not just a one size fits all. If you have, you know, it's it's not like it's not like they're charging ten bucks a ticket flat rate. It's you know they they look at okay, we'll give you up to a hundred tickets, but there's also hours involved, and we pay our people differently with when it's tier one versus tier three. And I'll correct you on that part. We don't differentiate on pricing between tier one and tier three. So whatever, whatever. Well, I, yeah, I'm I'm thinking more or less with your with your ferries with your metrics. Even yes. if it's not something that you're using directly with us, you, you're at least looking at those metrics in the right. background. Just for the back office, you you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, Steve with Taylor IT Group. Uh, he keeps outsourcing all of this tier one stuff because he's just lazy and doesn't want to do it. And yeah. uh, Zach from his company, can't remember your company name, Zach, sorry. Um, Zach keeps outsourcing all this tier two and tier three stuff. And it's it's actually costing us more to do business with Zach. So you might go to him and say he needs to bump up a tier or something along those lines um, at some point. And and I think I think that's all reasonable because you you know you're doing the same thing to us that we should be doing to our clients in that if we have a five user customer and I'm I'm stealing this from you Zach if we have a five user customer that's generating fifty tickets a month 
you know, we're not just going to sit there and let them eat all our margin. We're going to have a conversation with them. You know, we're, we're not going to yell, we're not going to fire them, but we're going to have a conversation and we're going to try and come up with something that works for everybody. Correct. And if, if there's not a, if, if they won't budge, then we may have to disengage, but uh, you, you want to come up with a way that works for everyone. Cause at the end of the day, it is going to be far less expensive to bring you on board than for me to hire another engineer or technician or whatever you want to call your staff. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny because you're able to make the same pitch to us as we are to our customers. You know, we're yeah. going to be a fraction of the cost of you hiring one guy and, and we come with a team. And you're saying that the exact same thing. I mean, it's a fraction of the cost as it would be for me to hire a full-time tech and you're bringing a team. So, I mean, it's, it's, it it makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Imagine that one of the things that we bump into a lot is that MSPs don't calculate their um, administrative and non-billable time. Like the, it, it tends to be one of those, you know, I just I just took a quick call this morning. Oh, I just got to like call that vendor for so and so. I've just got you know uh, all of that kind of stuff. And we talked before about you know should text answer the phone or should you have a dedicated admin or dispatch? Right. I learned I learned to you know before we even hit the Philippines, I learned that that was a huge benefit to our business to have uh, that first level taken out, that answer of the call and coordinate the text schedule was one of the most important investments we ever made in our MSP. Uh, like 10 years ago, it was very important. Um, if you just factored that alone into benchmarks pricing, so a, a person on a seat or multiple people on a seat just dealing with the initial call, that is significant cost saving to hiring an administrative person in uh, in the US or, or anywhere else. So um, a lot Absolutely, of... Because not, yeah. not only are you going to have people that are going to make sure the phone gets answered every single time. Yeah, but it's going to be 24 hours a day. It's yeah. not just me hiring someone to work eight to five or nine to five or whatever my shifts are. It's, right. it's literally bringing you on board for a fraction of that price to answer the phones 24 hours a day, right. which maybe from midnight to six doesn't really matter, but you know, you're going to have that customer that calls you at six thirty, seven o'clock at night, at least once a month. You know what's fascinating? Um, we softly, for in our own MSP, we softly uh, increased our business hours. So obviously we had, before we had, you know, 24, we had 20 and we had 16 and, you know, it was a scaled up thing. Um, we didn't tell anybody that we'd increased our hours. And you know what? The phones were ringing at 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock at night. We just weren't capturing it before. We just didn't know that that was happening. And um, as a value add to our to our clients, our MSP clients, it was like we can now uh, address your issues at any time of day and we're seeing our partners do that now. So they're going as a selling point saying we couldn't do this before, we were on call or, you know, we just didn't do it. Now they can just say, look, it's it's done. Um, we've got someone, we've got a team in place, call us anytime, we'll get your IT fixed. And And you know what's actually the most exciting to me about how you're doing this, James, is that um, with, I want to say every other uh, help desk company out there, or at least all the other ones I've heard of, it's like they'll help this customer, but not that customer, because I'm only paying for them to help this customer over here. So they don't, they don't want that customer to call and, and get on their line. They actually will scold me if that happens. And you're it right. sounds... 
It sounds like you're you're going to take care of everyone that's in my in my PSA, and anyone that's not. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But what do you mean by that? So you've got help desk services that that, that, are, that just cherry pick which customers they want to they want to work with. No, because you're you're paying per user or per per device. I see. So so I'll bring on a, a managed services client, and you know they they get the magical help desk. But my my break fix client, they get to go to my voicemail. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, so so it sounds it sounds like you would be able to take care of those random break fix clients as long as they're already in the PSA and and you can kind of figure it out for them. But it sounds yeah. like you're able to do that, and then you would you would add your time entry to the ticket in the uh, auto task or connectwise or whatever, and not only. Did, did my break fix customer just get taken care of super quick, but I just got to build them for that. <laughs> so just two quick things on that. Um, one is we're not saying, we wouldn't say, no, we're not servicing customer X or customer Y. The only question we're going to ask is, is this customer worth it to you, right? Um, and I'll give you an example. We had a partner come on board and he's like, you know, the tickets are coming in, the labor is going in, and we're like, this customer calls 10 times a day. Um, and we've we've utilized 20 hours just servicing this customer over the last couple of weeks. And the partner said, no, but you can't because we only charge them $500 a month. And it was like, Holy well, well what, well, what were you doing before, right? Like, were you, were you doing this much work? Yeah, I was, but I was just doing it at night and I was just doing it, you know, when I was on the couch and, you know, and it was like, well, so you've been losing money on this customer big time. And what happens is when you start sending it through to benchmark, it becomes visible very quickly. So rather than us saying, no, we're not going to serve the customer, what we're saying is how can we help you get this customer up to a suitable plan? How can we help you profit from this customer or manage this customer out? Because whether you do it, whether you hire an employee to do it or whether benchmark does it, you're going to lose money on this customer. So let us help you find a way to have every one of your customers profitable. We want, at our metric is we want you to make a multiple of three to five times whatever you're paying benchmark, right? Sure. And I don't know anybody else out there that's doing that. We're not saying no matter what, we're going to charge you X per endpoint because the endpoint is irrelevant. It's the volume of labor. It's the volume of work. There's what costs your business money. And, but likewise is what, is what you should be charging for. If you're not hitting an effective rate, I've got some, we could talk for hours on this, maybe we could do another webinar, but let's just talk quickly about rates. If you're not hitting an effective hourly rate of, you know, in some markets, 120 and you will not be able to scale and grow your MSP effectively. So forget about seat counts, forget about the per user or per device pricing. It all comes down to a labor cost and it all comes down to an effective billable rate. And we spend a lot of time with our partners getting that getting that driven home so that you're profitable. And if you're not profitable, that's the only reason I would say, you know what, we shouldn't service this customer because your benchmark is charging you and you're not charging the customer. So we shouldn't service them. You should you should drop the customer. Right. So but that sometimes takes a little while to get that into the into the psyche. Now and and I know we've we've gone way over, and I'm I'm sorry, but I'm super thankful because you're answering some great questions for us. Will 
your and and Justin said, "Will the th and I'm I'm going to correct some things before you even answer, so don't don't jump in yet." Uh, Justin said, "Matt, uh, okay, Matt." Matt says, something like this can also make you aware of costs you're losing that you shouldn't be because Benchmark is going to say, hey, this is a project we have to charge extra for. And you're thinking, huh, I would have done that for free or or less money or whatever. Um, right. And then Justin said, Matt, I wonder if the 365 text will discern between the two or just fix and I and or just fix the issue start helping the customer without converting it to a sales opportunity first and i i think it's safe to say one um i think what he's asking is uh if if someone said uh hey i've never worked with you before can you fix this problem what would your guys do would you say no would you say well steve has this process in place we need you to sign this agreement and then we can start working as, as soon as we get your credit card on file for Steve, yada, yada, yada. Or would you just say, you know what, you're going to need to talk to the owner so that way he can go through the sales spiel. You know, what, what, what would your, what would your deal be for that? Mm -hmm. Or I'm not sure if he's saying uh, XYZ company, um, they're, they're a managed services company and they went out and, and bought the, the brand new, Microsoft Office 365 for everyone, not not the email portion, but the software. And uh, they called in. They just real quick want us to install it on 20 machines. Just real quick. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> you had both of those, I'm sure, right? Uh, Justin did confirm it was number two, uh, <laughs> but I'd love an answer to both. All right, cool. Um, so. First of all, there's a lot there. Number one, customer calls up, never heard of them before, not in the system, don't know who they are. We would we would take a note, right? It's not going to go to a text. So, like, no, the texts are not the front line here. There's a, no, they're not. You've got the dispatchers. Very professional customer service team that know what they're doing and they have a process to mm -hmm. follow. They're like, um, oh, and where? what's your name and where are you calling from? And um, can I grab a little bit more information? Um, okay, thank you, great. And then we would reach it. They would have dialed through a number that we recognize because they would have, uh, ideally, they would have called, they wouldn't know our phone number. They would know their our partner's phone number. So they would have called through their help desk. Yeah, we got they, would have, they would have called my company and they would have hit two for support and it Correct. would have gone to you guys. Correct. So we know who you are, and we know, but we don't know who they are, right? So we log it all down. We pick up the phone immediately. Is Jason, Jason, uh, we just had a call from someone. We have no idea who they are. Uh, can you shed some light on this? Can we get some baseline documentation down? Like, you know, just basic, just even if it's an emergency, just basic, like who are they? Um, what sort of platform do they do they have? Are they on-premise? Are they in the cloud? Do they use 365? What are the passwords? What's the firewall details? At least give us enough Wait, information. And you're asking me all this? What's I don't that? know. It's new. And you're asking me, the yeah. partner? So the line between us and you is this is your business, right? This is not this is not yeah, my business. Yeah. This is your business, and you're you're an account Look manager. My minions. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're you're an account manager. You're sales, maybe even service delivery, depending on the on the scale, or maybe we're service delivery. But we will never be that key point of contact, that cotton wool. For your customer, that is that is your job. You're you're the one that goes out there and sees them. You're the one that goes out there there and sells them the latest project. You're the one that gets out there and makes them feel good about the service that you're providing. And we we underpin that. That's it. 
We just make sure that where they're delivering day on day in, day out on the service tickets. That's question. I think I answered one of the questions. The other one is, hey, we've just gotten 2365. Well, I said, yeah, man, that's that old trick, right? Like, oh, I've just got a couple of computers here we need you to, you know, that it's from my, you know, my wife's brother-in-law has just brought them in and we just need you to format them and reinstall you. Yeah, okay. So that would get flagged as a change request um, because it, it's an environmental thing. And that would go to the, first of all, as an escalation point within the pod that would say, hey, this looks like it's going to take all night. And uh, then, there would, <laughs> then no, there really, would, I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, she don't mind. <laughs> and um, then there would be a conversation with you, our partner, or whoever you've designated us to talk to to say, uh, this is a, uh, and, and it's, not, it's not even a money thing. Like, it, again, it's not like, Let's see how we can, you know, get some extra money. It's like this is a business problem. This is a problem. This is a problem for you and me right now because a, I got to ask a bunch of guys to work all night, and b, I don't even know if your customers even told you about this. So we need to we need to work together to get this solved, right? Um, We've been doing this before I started Benchmark. I've been doing this for fifteen years. I've seen it. I feel like I've seen it all. I've seen it all. The printer that shows up from, you know, uh, the multifunction company shows up with three new printers, no phone call, no advice to us. Hey, guys, there's some new printers here. Can you set it up? Right? We get that. We've heard it all. We've had it all, right? And so our guys our guys have a run sheet. They've got procedures to follow. Um, maybe one of your other questions is, do you get it right 100% of the time? No. Do you? You know, like it, there's, there's going to be stuff that slips through the cracks. There's going to be a tech that gets a job that, you know, uh, somehow finds himself, you know, knee deep in the proverbial. And again, because we have metrics in place and thresholds in place, we'll pick that up. Um, one of the thresholds we've got in place is if we're spending more than a couple of hours on any ticket, uh, manager is alerted to that just to have a look what's happening. You know, I thought this was a quick job, like you've been for two hours. Um, and you, you also can get those alerts. So you've got a dashboard that you can look at. You've got workflows that are sent to you that will tell you what's happening day to day. You're in charge. We're doing we're doing everything that we've been kind of programmed to do, but sometimes there might be an anomaly there. You're in charge. You can step in at any time and tell us what to do about it. Uh, it, it almost sounds like you guys are using like ITIL, I-T-I-L uh, standards or something of the sort for making sure that you're managing um, is is this you know is this a project is this a move ad change is this a an incident is that you know that kind of stuff um, it, it sounds like you guys are are really doing a good job of of managing that and that right there helps you manage the expectations of the partner who can then manage the expectations of the customer sound yeah. accurate. Yeah, so I, I mean, maybe maybe I've drawn on my experience. I am ITIL certified. Um, feels like a hundred years ago now, but I do have a very strong belief in that. Um, like you, I've I've used a couple of the different PSA platforms, and I've drunk the Kool Aid, gone to every workshop, seminar, many many times to IT Nation, and I believe it. I actually believe it's right. What I don't believe is that often um, MSPs like that are smaller than us try to implement way too many processes around this stuff and it becomes a administrative nightmare and a burden. So what we hope to do with Benchmark is we've done it. We've already built the platform, 
like you know from a people perspective we've already built it and all you need to do is leverage it um we, we try to call it turnkey um doesn't turnkey as quick as a tesla it'll take 15 days to onboard you but we we, we try to make sure that you get access to these um ITIL best practices immediately um that's our goal that's really the that's really the nuts and bolts of it steve awesome um I think by now we've answered everything. Um, Zach said they're basically using ITIL to treat their client base like multiple lines of business inside a single organization. Uh, and it, he said it's the same methodology he uses for his client base. So sounds like you guys are, are doing it right. And I like it. Um, I, I like what you're doing. Um, if If price is the objective, for for someone saying they can't work with you because they can't afford it then i would say <clears throat> they're simply not big enough to need you yeah or they're doing it very wrong <laughs> or they're doing it very very wrong which is a, is a whole nother webinar um I, I i i like i like how you guys are are running things i i like what you're doing I like everything I've heard today, to be completely honest. Um, I just can't afford you. <laughs> um, but but no, I, I, I do think that uh, anyone that, that can work with you should at least uh, have a conversation with you. Um, so that way you, you, you both can learn more about each other and figure out if that would be a, a a good relationship that will work out for both partners or both parties. Uh, with that said, how can people reach you, James? Yeah, cool. So um, number one is I've mentioned email before. You can send an email to james at benchmark365.com. If anyone wants to reach out today and you're looking for pricing and a bit more info, I'll send that straight out. That's, that's no problem. Um, uh, the other thing is I'm awake maybe 20 hours a day, but there might be four or five hours a day that I'm not. Um, on our Facebook page, we have a messenger uh, chat. It's not a bot. Um, so you can ask any questions there. So when I or one of our uh, representatives is awake um, and, at, and at the keys, they'll answer your questions. So ask as many questions as you like. Hit us. Um, we do have a lot of, because we've been doing this a while, we have bits of collateral that, that drill down into some of the questions that you've asked today because some of them are important. Um, uh, Steve, you asked about call quality and audio. We can send that out. Um, but, yeah, um, by all means, Facebook page or email me. Um, appreciate your feedback about the website. I'm going to talk with our marketing team and see if we can improve the, 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 the communication on there so you get a bit more of an idea um, about what we do. Um, and as you just said before, Steve, just reach out. A, a call is free. It um, doesn't cost you anything to explore this further. And I'd love to see um, some of the attendees jumping on board with Benchmark. But you're in, you're in Australia and the Philippines. Doesn't it cost us something to actually call you? Uh, no. So uh, I can either call you. I have, I have this amazing plan on my cell phone, which is unlimited international calls. So I can call you anytime uh, from that. Wonderful. I also use... I use GoToMeeting, um, so uh, you can. I'll, I'll share this with anybody that reaches out. But you can schedule into my calendar, and um, we can jump on GoToMeeting together, and I can share some slides and do a bit more than what we've um, been able to cover today, if, if need be. Wonderful. 
Well, well, thank you so much. I did pop something into the uh, resources section. So you guys should see a red circle with a number one inside it uh, up in the top if you haven't reviewed that yet. That is just a link to Facebook. Uh, there's also his email address in the chat and that same link to Facebook in the chat. Um, Facebook.com slash benchmark365 or james at benchmark365.com. Does that sound right? James at benchmark365.com, correct. And I'm going to try and just throw up another uh, document if everybody's going to hang around for a few minutes. Um, I'll just I'll, I'll make sure I add it up in the, the site as well so people can access it later on too. Okay, um, why don't we do that? Save so scratching around for PDFs um, at okay. the moment. But I'll send some stuff over to you, Steve, to share. That sounds great. Thanks so much, James. Thanks so much, everyone else, for attending. Um, I, I really appreciate you being here and, and showcasing your business. Um, I do wish you the great greatest success, uh, and, and I think you're going to do well here. Um, this Thursday, guys, we have the webinar on audit for IT, and you can actually go to audit, A-U-D-I-T, for F-O-R-I-T.com. Check out that tool. It is freaking awesome. Um, it, it can help you make uh, sales forms. It can help you make quarterly business reviews. And it's all going to just make your clients and prospects love you because it's going to make sense. It, it's red, yellow, and green. And it just tells them if, if things are good or not. And, and I mean, it couldn't get any easier. So, That's amazing. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. You should check it out. I think you would like it. Um, so, so take care, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for staying late. And uh, as always, this will be up on YouTube later. Take care. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today.